Good morning, dear intriguer. I'm an Apple guy. I've got an iPhone, I've got a MacBook, and now I need a pair of proprietary Apple sneakers from the 1990s that just went up for auction at Sotheby's with an asking price of $50,000. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss turmoil in Niger and the disappearance of China's former foreign minister. It's all coming up. Morning, John. How are you? I'm uh, I'm very well, Ethan. It's great to be back with you after a uh, two-episode hiatus. Yes. Although it was, uh, uh, you've got me a little worried that my position is going to be replaced by the two oh, excellent subs. Never, never. It's only ever an addition, John. It's only ever. <laughs> Wait, I'm getting a call from from Val. Actually, I think I got to go. <laughs> I, feel, I feel. I feel like kidding. I feel. I feel you served yeah. a mutiny. You've been flung. You've been flung to the to the provincial regions of of the intrigue kingdom. <laughs> uh, well, John, we are going back as we. So often do to uh, the Sahel region of Africa for this story, and we're covering a, a familiar topic. This is a uh, an area I think that particularly fascinates you, right? Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, it's 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 been in the headlines nonstop for for years now. It has, and I unfortunately think that is mostly because it's a bit of a region in crisis. Um, you know, we've seen coups in. Mali and Burkina Faso in, in, in recent years and Sudan is obviously in a, a terrible state of, of civil war. Um, and now, as of Wednesday, uh, the democratically elected president of Niger seems to have been toppled in a, in a coup as well. Yeah. Region crisis is, is exactly the phrase to use. And I want to get back to, to why, it, why it's specifically the Sahel is in crisis. But this is still very much a developing story in Niger, but what do we know so far? Yeah, uh, well, so um, early Wednesday, uh, reports started coming out that soldiers from uh, President Mohamed Bazoum's security detail had taken him hostage. So, you know, f- turned against their boss uh, inside the presidential palace in the capital, Niamey. Um, the mutineers announced that they had, uh, quotes here, put an end to the regime due to the continuous degradation of the security situation, the bad economic and social governance. Um, and then they went ahead and imposed a curfew. And then yesterday we heard from the, the wider Nigerian, and that's not to yes. be confused with Nigerian, but the wider Niger- Ni- Nigerian <laughs> <laughs> army, uh, the military, they said they'd support the coup leaders um, in order to avoid a deadly confrontation between the different forces. So that's what they we're could at. have done. They could have done so much better with the demonym between know, these right? two. Their neighboring countries not helping us. Yeah, not easy. But John, for context here, what is the 62nd history of Niger? I love it when you do this to me, Ethan. I love it when you ask me to distill a, an entire nation's history in, in a minute. It doesn't leave me open to criticism yeah. at all. You're on the clock, actually, so I'll, I'll get going. I'll, I'll have a go. Yeah, the brief background is that the, there's 25 million people who live in, in Niger and, and almost the whole entire population lives in the south of the country. Uh, you know, northern 80% of the territory is actually in the Sahara Desert. So, you know, super, super dry, lack of arable land. It makes it one of the poorest and least developed countries on earth. Um, and it has experienced lots of military coups since it gained its independence from France back in 1960. Um, in fact, it's never had a peaceful transfer of power between elected presidents until 2021, mm. when the current or recently deposed President Bazoum took office, um, even though there was a coup attempt in the days leading up to his swearing in. 
Right. So what should we know about President Bazoum? Yeah, so he's been an ally of the U.S. and the West in the fight against al-Qaeda and, and other extremist groups in the region. And, and that's important because Niger is widely seen as the kind of last potential ally in that region for the West. Um, you know, Burkina Faso and Mali both kicked out their Western partners, um, particularly the French, uh, and Sudan and Chad are under military dictatorships. In fact, the, the French moved their base of operations to Niger after they got booted from Mali last year. Um, and, and Niger currently plays host to over a thousand US military personnel who train and cooperate with the, again, the Nigerian army uh, <laughs> on, you know, counterterrorism operations in the region. Um, and in March, Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, um, he became the first US Secretary of State to visit the country where he promised uh, about $150 million in humanitarian and political aid. Okay, so let's talk about this, this region in crisis. What seemed to go wrong in Niger? And I mean, I guess, I guess more broadly, why does this keep happening in the Sahel? Yeah, it's an important question. And, you know, PhDs are done on this kind of topic. Um, and anything I say here will clearly be a gross generalization. <laughs> but, but I think, an, you know, one of a number of the reasons um, is these countries have terrible geography. So much of the territory in their country is dry and, and virtually unlivable. Um, and, and the government has a hard time maintaining complete control and, and giving these people a good life. Mm. Um, but, you know, let's not shy away from it either, Ethan. These countries have all suffered from real bad governance over a long period of time. You know, it's all very chicken and egg. Poverty creates conditions right. for extremism, which in turn exacerbates bad governance, corruption and poverty. Um, but, you know, when the security and, and civil situation in a country degrades, uh, invariably, invariably there will be people and mostly from the military because they've got the guns, um, they think they can do better on, on all fronts. So we, we've seen what happened in Mali. We've seen what's happened mm -hmm. in Burkina Faso. Uh, not sure what's going to happen in Sudan at the moment. Mm -hmm. What might be next for Niger, this this other country in the region that's in the midst of turmoil? Yeah, the President Bazoum has promised he'll keep fighting for democracy. Yeah, um, this was a weird thing that he kind of kept tweeting throughout his imprisonment by his security forces but you know as as they say just tweet through it no matter what happens yeah tweet gone, through it. gone are the days that capturing the radio station in the capital was enough to to shut down comms i mean we saw that when uh Prigozhin launched a, a mutiny against against uh, putin right he was on telegram all the way right. through it so maybe this is a new the new frontier for for social media is, twitter isn't going anywhere i guess ex well exactly right so yeah and and he said he, he will keep fighting for democracy as you say while this coup was going on um more broadly niger's neighbors have all condemned the coup as you might expect them to do because they always do that um and they've sent a, a representative uh Benin's president, actually, to serve as kind of a mediator between the military and, and the government um, in the hopes that they can arrive at a compromise. Um, you know, I think experience tells us here that the military will likely keep control um, and usher in a new era of military rule, depending on the stability of whatever that new rule looks like. Uh, and I think the delay between the coup being announced by the, the mutineers and then the army supporting it yesterday, that, that kind of suggests that maybe not everyone in the military was fully on board with the coup. Right. Um, but depending on the stability of what comes next, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another one, another coup pretty soon, um, which of course in turn means that if, if the situation gets worse, I could see the US being kicked out of the country. You know, the US is always a convenient scapegoat for, for domestic problems or on the other hand, the U.S. could decide to withdraw, you know, a lot of its support, um, given that it's now a military military rule, um, and that would mean that Niger would have to seek new military partners. And, and I've got to guess 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was going to say, you beat me to it. Let's not forget that the you know the group formerly known as the Wagner Group, uh, now some sort of weird amalgam of Russian state paramilitary and contract fighters and all of this, but they operate in the region and they've exploited precisely this dynamic in, in Mali and Burkina Faso to great effect. So, you know, the TLDR of all of this, it's not really good news for anyone except maybe the coup leaders, extremists in the region and uh, potentially Russia. Today's show is brought to you by Cook Unity. Cook Unity is a chef collective that's building the first ever marketplace for millions of busy, everyday people to discover, experience, and celebrate the absolute best food the world has to offer. Cook Unity brings together the best chefs near you to deliver tasty food right to your door as many times a week as you want. All you have to do is heat it up and enjoy. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, welcome back. So if you don't mind, John, I think I'll take the first go around this time. Please do, Ethan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, well, I'll stick <laughs> with, with Africa just to close the loop on uh, something we talked about a, a couple weeks ago, Russia's suspension of the Black Sea grain deal. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, so as we discussed, this deal was signed fairly early in the war between Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, and the UN in order to maintain the flow of if not all, at least a certain percentage of critical Ukrainian grain exports. And I say critical because Ukraine is one of the world's largest grain producers. Then, as we all know, just to, you know, given the, the full recap here, on July 17th this year, Russia backed out of the deal. And they, they've since started, I don't know if you saw this, they've, they've been bombing Ukrainian ports like Odessa, yeah. where grain shipments take place. And, and the question that we had when we talked about this was how the wider world, that is the countries that depend on imports of Ukrainian grain, how, how would those countries respond? We knew how the West would respond, but we weren't sure how these third neutral parties would respond. And, and this week, we may have gotten our answer. Yeah, I'm glad you chose this story to talk about. I've been thinking that we should do a follow-up on this, given that, uh, if I remember cor correctly, I, I predicted that those countries... Um, would be pretty angry at Russia for pulling out of the grain deal. So, uh, am I right? <laughs> Where are we at on that? Oh, uh, you, you want a, you want a little pat on the back, uh, well, don't I, you? Well, you get one. I genuinely <laughs> don't know. I haven't been following it lately. <laughs> well, you get a pat on the back, John. Excellent. Uh, because That's what I'd like to hear. and the, the reason I say that is because because Russia invited the leaders of Africa's fifty four countries to Saint Petersburg this week for the second ever Africa-Russia summit. Uh, the first one took place in 2019. 43 countries showed up to that one. And this time around, only around 20 of Ooh. those countries showed up. Yeah, so about about half the attendance uh, of good. last time. And, and, you know, countries gave various reasons why they skipped out. For the most part, they said they had other affairs. I don't know if you saw uh, Fiji's president, uh, Rabuka. I did. Uh, he bonked his head on uh, on a door, so that's why he missed a, uh, an important trip to China. So you know that they're giving all sorts of reasons. I don't think anyone went quite as far uh, the Rabuka uh, excuse, but one of those absentees, William Ruto of Kenya, said he didn't show up specifically because of Russia's suspension of the grain deal, which he called a stab in the back. Mm. So you know this this poor attendance came as such a shock, yeah, so to Russia, seemingly embarrassing. Uh, for Russia, that they promised to send free shipments of grain to six African countries, several several of whom, uh, just to tie this back to our last story, they play host 
to Wagner mercenaries who, you know, they they probably have good reason to worry about instability triggered by by food shortages. The the point is this could not only be a political failure for Russia, it seems like it is, but it could now be a huge strategic failure depending on how much instability these food shortages cause. Yeah, that's all very interesting. So I guess maybe my prediction that Russia would come back to the grain deal hasn't yet materialized, but the dynamics that we thought would play out, um, they're playing out like we said they would. Is that fair, do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're making concessions nonetheless. Maybe they, they may not come back to the grain deal for a little while, but they're essentially saying, you know what? <laughs> uh, we messed up, so we're going to figure out another way to make this work. Mm. Uh, but, but John... What do you got on your mind? I have a feeling I know what you're going to talk about because there was such big news out of China last week that we didn't get a chance to discuss. So what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I like to talk about China at the best of times, but this time I feel justified uh, because uh, Qing Gang, the, the the former foreign minister and very senior uh, Chinese Communist Party official, um, has well, he disappeared to start yeah. off with. Um, but to put like, there's a lot of strands to this story that folks might've been kind of following, but we, you know, it's, we'll tie, try and tie them together so that you can keep a track of it. So he disappeared a few weeks ago um, and, and was notably missing from a bunch of international meetings. The Chinese Communist Party said he had health problems, that he was kind of sidelined for a few weeks. And, you know, they went, they didn't quite say that he'd be back, but you know, that was the, that was the sort of the vibe. But this week, uh, earlier this week, he was removed from that foreign ministry role. And and that's the state role. That's like a government role. Think of like a, you know, a, a bureaucrat role. So he was removed from this public facing role, but he retained his senior party position in China. And, and think of that as like a, a political party role. They're separate roles. Um, so he was removed from the state one, but not from the party one. The language they used was he was removed, not dismissed. And, and that's kind of important because it suggests that there's an investigation going on oh, rather wow. than the investigation has finished. And, you know, previously when a, an investigation into a, a senior Chinese leader has been like concluded and they're booting him out and, you know, doing all that, they'll say he was dismissed, but they've just said he's removed for now. Um, you know, I had wondered whether it was genuinely health related, the fact that he kept this party role, but, um, you know, plenty of smart folks on China I've been reading have said, no, he's in, he's in serious political trouble because of the language they're using. And then also, yeah, yesterday, I think it was, or maybe even on Wednesday, the the uh, foreign ministry started to scrub him from the website, something they would not do for just health issues, right? So all of this points to uh, Chin being in some serious internal trouble. Um, and, you know, I think the reason he was removed from the foreign ministry role before maybe the investigation has officially concluded is that's an outward facing role that he has to deal with other countries and other countries don't like not knowing who they're dealing with. I, I saw the UK foreign secretary, uh, James Cleverly, he postponed a trip to China for that reason because he didn't know what was going on with the foreign minister of, of China. Um, and, you know, his party role is an internal position, so that's less important to other countries. Um, they replaced him as with, with, with Wang Yi, who was previously... Uh, very recently, the foreign minister. So that's kind of just saying China's just telling the world, hey, business as usual, nothing to see here. You know this guy, deal with him um, and let's crack on. I mean, China's internal politics, CCP politics are famously transparent so that they give us a <laughs> lot of insight into what's going on. What have they told us? What What's going on with Well, they've, with said, they've come out very clearly and told us yes. exactly what he's done wrong. <laughs> um, no, uh, serious internal trouble is kind of code for any number of things. Um, and, you know, it's all based on rumors and speculation and, and it probably will be until late 
officially announce what's happened. Um, I've been watching it pretty closely and and reading what a lot of the experts have been saying. And he's, Chin seems like he's been the subject of a lot of rumors within the Chinese system, as opposed to kind of us speculating on the outside. Um, the excellent Bill Bishop, uh, had a podcast yesterday exploring whether Chin's alleged mistress in the US while he was uh, ambassador to the US. Um, it seems he's had a child with a mistress while he was here. Um, and there's an, a rumor that that mistress was working for the CIA or MI6. Um, you know, I, rumors and speculation, and that sounds like a spy novel. The fact is it doesn't really matter <laughs> if it's true. If the internal security organs of China believe that it's true or that there's some possibility that it's true, then he's absolutely done for um you know he'd be lucky just to get a life sentence in in china um Mm. whatever i I think whatever he's going down for he's in he's in he's in big trouble you mentioned bill bishop i see that you're wearing your uh bill bishop shirt uh big bill bishop head here yeah if you're listening bill please call john he's he's desperate (laughs) to talk uh so so john what's next on this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Next is important. He can, so Chin Gung, if he does get found guilty of this internal investigation, which it's impossible to imagine he won't be, he'll be fully removed from all positions um, in the fall at the party plenum. Um, and, you know, I think between now and then we'll find out a lot more. There are two kind of notable elements, I think, in, in, in to take away from this. It's the first is that Chin Gung was, uh, was really promoted by Xi Jinping above his station more early. Um, as it were, breaking protocol. Um, he was really a favorite of Xi Jinping. Uh, and I think his downfall shows that no one is immune from state security apparatus. And, and it's not, you know, it's not good enough anymore to say, oh, I'm close to the chairman. Um, if, you, if you've done something wrong or if you're seen to be bringing, uh, you know, shame upon the party, you, you're done. Um, so that's an important message. And I think the second one, and, and you've seen this echoed by, you know, chambers of commerce and all this kind of stuff, businesses in in China, it's another reminder of how the most important decisions in China are completely opaque. You have no idea. Um, and, and at this point, if you're doing business in China um, or, you know, if you, even if you're a foreign country signing up for, for agreements with China, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking of the Pacific Island countries that we've covered lately in their security arrangements with China, if you're doing that, you have to go into the arrangement with your eyes open. If the tables turn and there's no warning, no explanation from Beijing, at this point, you can't really claim ignorance about how China makes its decisions. Um, you know, for better or worse, this is how things are done in Xi Jinping's China. Fascinating. I mean, we saw Hu Jintao at the at the party congress earlier this year. Now it's yeah. Xin Gong. Who's going to fall next? The, he won't be. He won't be the last. That he won't that, be the last, and only that. I'm sure. But that's the last of you, John. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Ethan. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, if you're anything like me, you are past ready for this weekend to start. And this weekend isn't like all other weekends because this Sunday is International Friendship Day. So give someone a ring, go get a drink with someone you haven't seen in a while, play a round of tennis or kick around a ball. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Tuesday. Tuesday.